This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Spring is just a few weeks away, and with it, potentially, hope for a rebirth. Vaccines continue to roll out across Oregon, and businesses are starting to reopen to customers. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. I snagged Hillary Baroud, our state politics reporter, Mike Rogaway, who covers business and technology, and one of our newest staffers, homelessness reporter Nicole Hayden, to talk about where we're at right now in Portland and Oregon overall. We talked about the state of the economy, the state of homelessness services in the city and what's to come, the legislature and another Republican walkout, the pandemic, and much more. Here's our conversation. Nicole Hayden, Hillary Baroud, and Mike Rogaway, thanks so much for taking time to talk today. It's good to be here. Good to be here. Yeah, nice to see you, Andrew. It feels like we should start with an introduction. Nicole, you recently joined the paper. Um, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what you're covering, where you came from, and, and what you make of uh, Portland so far. Yeah, I am covering homelessness and all issues related to social services and housing in Portland. Um, and I moved here from California where I was uh, predominantly doing the same thing. Um, I lived in Southern California reporting on homelessness throughout the state. And then for the past year, I was leading pandemic coverage um, for California USA Today papers in the state. I'm really happy to be here, though, and just focusing on homelessness. And the move during a pandemic has been interesting, but um, so far it's going great. Well, we look forward to, to seeing uh, seeing what you what you cover and and keeping tabs on on your work, and Mike. Um, it feels like we're about a year into this coronavirus economy. It was March of last year that restaurants and many other businesses shut down, and several hundred thousand people were suddenly unemployed. Where are we now? Well, it's it's a paradox, Andrew. This is both the steepest and deepest decline in. Oregon's economic history, and yet it is far, far less bad than economists expected um, 11 and a half months ago. It never got to the 20% unemployment, the nearly 15% we had was only brief in April. What what we've had is is what economists have sometimes called the 90% economy, where 90% of things are going along kind of as before, and some things are, are doing really well. Um, but for those 10% of things that aren't happening, if you work in a hotel, uh, uh, if you own a restaurant, a movie theater, these things are still really struggling. And there are a few other sectors that are are, mm-hmm. are really hurting, too. Consumer spending has been relatively strong. But, you know, unemployment, we're, we're a month behind for complicated reasons in getting uh, the latest jobless numbers. But it's, it's still really high by by historical standards, according to the latest data, close to 7%. 
uh, about on par with the national figures. And a lot of people are really struggling. And then there's a potential cutoff uh, if Congress doesn't extend unemployment benefits by March 13th, I believe. There's another potential cutoff uh, for um, tens or hundred, I think more than 100,000 people who are still receiving jobless benefits. So people are still struggling to get by. It's possible by the time people hear this Monday that Senate will have acted on the um, Biden administration's coronavirus relief fund. So we'll see if uh, if help might be on the way. Um, Nicole, just back to you for a moment, um, having covered the pandemic and um, people experiencing homelessness in the pandemic. Broadly speaking, I would imagine it's it's even tougher times now, right? I mean, what what did you see in California um, in terms of how people are struggling and what have you seen um, so far here in Oregon? Yeah, I think universally, uh, not just in California and Oregon, but across the country, um, I was seeing a, a lot more folks living on the streets saying they had worked in the service industry, um, in restaurants or other sectors that shut down and were newly homeless. And then at the same time, you saw that increasing. You saw uh, social services decreasing the amount of people they were serving a lot of times for social distancing mm-hmm. reasons um, or having to cut staff. Uh, so it was a strange paradox of having a spike in need and a decreased capacity to really respond to that need. And I think in the coming months, we're going to see that get even more tangled if benefits get cut off. Again, we'll see, I guess, what what Congress does in the meantime. Um, Let's shift over to, to Hillary. You know, this is all happening right now as the legislature is meeting down in, in Salem and Republicans have once again kind of walked out at some point. Um, can you walk out of a Zoom meeting? <laughs> I mean, what's going on down there in Salem? Well, yeah, they didn't walk out of a Zoom meeting. Um, what happened the other week? It's hard to keep track of time sometimes during the pandemic. And we're all just watching a lot of these meetings um, online. But on February 25th, they had a Senate floor session that each chamber's been doing at least once a week, even while they were holding most of their business um, online, virtually having committee meetings mm-hmm. that way so that they wouldn't be in the Capitol and potentially creating a super spreader event if they're all there all the time. But they've been meeting at least once a week in person to just hold these floor sessions. And it's really quick. They introduce new bills because that's the only way that they can do that. And then, um, or the main way that they can do that. And then, then they're done. So the Republicans were just no shows along with one, uh, newly independent, um, lawmaker who used to be a Republican back on February 25th. And they did that for kind of an unusual, Reason Oregonians know that the the Republicans in the Senate and the House have had a number of walkouts now going back to 2019. And typically it was over a legislative proposal or um, a whole list of legislative proposals that they would love to kill. This time it was a protest uh, over Kate Brown's COVID restrictions. And specifically, they were insisting that all students go back to school immediately, which would... Uh, be counter to counter to the kind of measures that need to be in place for students to safely be back in school. You know, enough social distancing, um, spa- you know, really spacing people out that can mean that not everyone can go to school at the same time. 
a lot going on there. <laughs> so um, the the bigger picture, though, uh, for the three of you, you know, vaccines are here, and now we've got the J and J vaccine on its way, and um, available to teachers and and seniors um, are really the focus this month and soon. You know, essential workers who have who have been on the job throughout this whole pandemic. Um, Mike, let's start with you. What, what are you going to be watching for as vaccines continue to roll out to the general population? How, how do you expect that commerce may change? Well, you know, it's it's really the speed of the uptick and and consumer behavior. You know, we already uh, across most of the state have restaurants um, and movie theaters open at least partially to dine in or, you know, in-person attendance. And the, the question is how people are going to feel about that. Are people going to come back and can the restaurants operate at, you know, profitably at a reduced scale? Because, you know, it, it won't be immediate that they're, they're full. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next question is, will people start going back to offices? Right now, most of the state, you're still instructed to work from home if you can. Uh, but when there's more uh, flexibility on that, how will businesses respond? Will they bring people back? Will people go back? That will have a big effect on downtowns, not just downtown Portland, but other parts of the metro area on the commercial real estate market. It'll be a very interesting dynamic. So it's it's really about the speed of the uptick and uh, you know, it, economists have opinions about that, but they're really not informed opinions because nothing like this has ever happened before. And it seems like there's so much uncertainty, um, Mike and Andrew, because Andrew, I know you've been tracking, you've been reporting on COVID lately a fair amount. It seems like there's so much uncertainty with these variants of the virus as well. So that could really throw a wrench into things. And it sounds like researchers are even not totally sure, um, what that's going to mean in the near term in terms of how effective the vaccines are mm-hmm. or, or how quickly we need even an updated vaccine on that. So it might not be the quick boomerang economy, uh, re- economic recovery that, that some people are hoping for. Economists are still hopeful. You know, they're still expecting something like, you know, a boomerang or a, a V-shaped recovery. Um, but they've also talked about what they call sometimes a, a Nike swoosh economy <laughs> where you have a steep downturn uh, and then sort of this quick spring back and then a long tail uh, of it, of it slowly coming back slowly, but steadily. I, I think, you know, Hillary, you're exactly right. We have to see what the epidemiology says. The numbers out of Israel this morning are extremely encouraging. The death rates there are falling very, very rapidly. And we, everyone's looking to Israel because they, their population is uh, largely vaccinated or majority vaccinated yeah. already. It's a smaller, uh, smaller population, obviously, when you're talking about 300 plus million Americans. Right. So it's much harder to do here, but they're, they're sort of a, a leading indicator of what we might expect. Well, I don't think we have any economic sense then, but I think there's reason to believe that the, that, you know, the, the trajectory and the recovery will be fairly sharp. One, one thing that, people economists are are very hopeful about is getting people back to school they see that as a a double benefit getting kids back to school uh it'll get one one sector where we've had a lot of people fall out of the workforce is in education and the schools reopen uh larger classes of people will go back but more importantly uh you'll have more parents able to work and more flexibility around their schedule. Oh, come on, Mike. You and I and Andrew have been working this whole time. I'm just kidding. Andrew and I have the benefit of our kids are in 
daycare, at least they are a lot of the time when we're not shut down by wildfire smoke or having sick kids home. Big snowstorms. But to just point, just to mention an Oregon specific thing on that in terms of employment in the education sector, Oregon has had no um, teacher layoffs that I know of, but what we have had that state economists spoke to last week um, when they gave their economic and revenue forecast update was substitute teachers have basically not been needed. Um, one state economist even mentioned that since school is virtual or online, a principal at one of his kids' schools was able to step in, I think, when a teacher needed a day off. Yeah, and that'll obviously be a whole different ballgame uh, depending on you know the hybrid uh, reality that might exist for a few months before the summer. Um, Nicole, so I don't know if you've had a chance to um, chat with either providers or people experiencing homelessness about what their thoughts are on on getting a vaccine. But I know that, you know, when we look back to 2020, there I mean, there's a lot of concern, I think, um, about how the pandemic would uh, potentially affect people living outside or people living in, in shelters. Um, what are people thinking about uh, that you've talked to if you've had those conversations in terms of what a vaccine may look like? Are people looking forward to getting it? Or are they dubious? I mean, just talk about what, what you know at this point. Um, I think providers and frontline workers in the homeless community have already started receiving the vaccines and they're very excited what that means about being able to increase the amount of outreach they're doing since that's scaled back so much in the past year or so. Fewer people living on the streets have gotten help. Um, so that's a positive. I think when we talk about getting the vaccine to the general population and then the folks who are homeless, that's a, um, a more challenging conversation of where they fall on the list to get the vaccine. And I know we've had a lot of campaigns about making people feel safe in the general population about receiving the vaccine mm-hmm. and kind of addressing those fears. But I think those conversations will have to increase in the homeless community because there's already a lot of lack of trust in government and officials and a lot of disbelief still about the pandemic. So when you're overcoming the need to like do a mass vaccination push in the homeless community, there needs to be a lot of education and outreach about why they should get it and why they should feel safe about getting it. Do we know yet, Nicole, whether that what that looks like? I mean, does it look like trusted providers like Central City Concern or, you know, other uh, Sisters of the Road, other, um, you know, institutions in Old Town, Chinatown, getting their hands on vaccines and that's how they're distributed. Do we, do we know that much yet? I think that's definitely what we'll, we'll see happen. Um, I don't think we're that far down the line of distribution for that to happen yet, but um, definitely it will need to be familiar faces and outreach workers that people already trust and feel safe with and, or um, peer outreach workers who have been homeless before and can really make that personal connection. So it will look very similar to outreach efforts in the past. Well, great. Uh, Let's take a break and we'll come back and talk a bit more with Nicole Hayden, Hilary Baroud, and Mike Ragway. Mike, um, are reports of the death of downtown exaggerated? Uh, I know the Apple store is back and there's efforts uh, to do some more cleanup downtown and but still, we've got a lot of people working from home. What, what do we know about downtown a, a year later? Well, you know, it's it's another case where, since this is unprecedented, I think anything we say is to a degree conjecture. 
I think one thing we can say is that it's not a uniquely Portland issue. We did have, uh, I think, quantifiable reputational damage from the protests last summer, and there's still quantifiable vandalism going on uh, periodically uh, as people downtown and in other parts of the city, uh, maybe they're protesters, maybe they're just vandals, go around and break windows. Um, and I, I think there's a, a question about whether or not people want to go back and work in urban cores. Seattle, San Francisco, every other city on the West Coast is facing similar issues. And, you know, what, what does what does that look like in the future? My own feeling is that downtown Portland has a few things going for it. Unlike downtown San Francisco or downtown Seattle, it is right in the heart of the metro area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, you know, very easy to get to from anywhere. There's lots of transit lines. It's a very attractive place physically, um, you know, whatever damage or or issues you may see around around homelessness or housing, you know, it's a very pretty place. Uh, it's much more livable than, say, the very core of downtown Seattle. Uh, but if people aren't going to come back to the office, uh, if they're afraid to, uh, or if the reputational damage that Portland suffered uh, last summer is severe enough that it keeps new investment away, then that will be a lingering issue. And right now we're just trying to parse all that out. Uh, and and it, since it hasn't happened before, it's all conjecture. Yeah. Well, um, it seems like a lot of things are just conjecture when you, when, when you boil them down, especially when we're living through all of this, but, um, I guess time will tell, um, Hillary, I'm, I'm curious, you know, we had, you were talking about, uh, the accounting of last year with the wildfires and, you know, and the pandemic and, um, then, then the recent power outages and winter storms. Has there been any, any discussion in Salem about from legislators about, uh, looking at ways to um, to ensure power companies are held accountable if if need be on on that front has that been a topic at all? Um, <clears throat> that'd be a good question for Ted Sickinger. That's not really <laughs> something that I follow. Let's patch him <laughs> but, in. But you know, I, yeah. I can tell you that I did a story a few weeks ago about how the legislature's on track to introduce four thousand bills this session. So that that would give you a sense of how broad the legislation is that they're looking at and. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely have not heard what you're speaking to uh, being at the top of anyone's, any legislative leaders list of what they're focused on. So what are some of their priorities um, for this session? Well, from Democrats, it's been really general. Just we need to go back and, and basically do more of the same of what they did in 2020 during three special sessions um, not during the regular session because the regular session in 2020 was short. It was only sp- supposed to be about a month and then it was cut short when Democrats decided, you know, they wanted again, and there's a lot of pressure on them from the environmental community to bring back this cap and trade greenhouse gas bill. And it just seems like a million years ago now, given how the last year's gone, but <laughs> they, they brought it, they brought it back and Republicans, um, walked out and it really does seem like so long ago. Um, so then the rest of the year, they were focusing on responding to wildfires. They were, they were responding to COVID needs, and that was in all of those special sessions. And then um, something called the Legislative Emergency Board, which will get money out that, that the legislature set aside in a special fund that it can just uh, approve for spending on various things without uh-huh. the full legislature having to meet. 
So they're just back saying they're going to focus on that again. And what does that mean practically? Um, Tina Kotek wants to extend a, a moratorium on on foreclosures on on uh, from mortgages. They're probably going to discuss um, additional rental assistance. There was a question of whether they would get rid of some tax breaks that benefit some of the wealthiest Oregonians and businesses that were just copied automatically into state law uh, because of the way that we copy federal tax law. And those were in the CARES Act, the Federal CARES Act in 2020. It seems like the revenue forecast that we were talking about, Mike and I, and how well the state's been continuing to do in terms of taxes that are paid and so state mm-hmm. revenues they've been doing so well they're they're on track to bring in even more money than they had predicted than economists had predicted before the pand- pandemic happened amazingly and so that means that Oregonians might be getting this unique tax rebate called the kicker when they file their taxes next year um and because of that the political Will is kind of evaporating to raise taxes at all. Now there's been a separate discussion of whether they just need to change some tax breaks to make the state's tax system more equitable. And that ties into another top Democratic goal this session, which is to address um, issues of equity, racial and to the extent that that's connected, um, economic equity within the state. And then finally, police accountability, policing reforms as well. So those are Democrats' priorities this session. I'm not entirely sure what Republicans' legislative priorities are this session beyond they clearly want Oregon students back in schools, just like Republicans nationally are making that a priority and see it as something that um, that there's some support and some political gain in pushing that. And then they want to prevent any tax increases. Do we have a sense of whether another walkout is inevitable? Oh, I think it's hanging over any day that Democrats bring up something that that Republicans don't like and and try to advance that. Well, I guess uh, TBD on that front. Um, Nicole, we've seen um, some new shelters open recently or or announced that they will be opening sometime this year in the Portland area. Um, do we know whether this is enough to meet the needs of people living outside? Um, it's definitely not enough to meet the needs of people living outside, but there are a lot of plans that are about to start rolling out come this summer and over the next couple of years that people hope address that or start addressing it. Uh, so that includes um, the Metro homeless tax and the Tri-County metro area will start receiving those funds in July, and they plan to immediately respond to the most basic needs, which are creating those um, shelters, and they hope they pop up in a variety of ways, from the typical mass shelters we think of inside with a lot of cots to more of these um, outdoor pod shelters, um, because in addressing the need, they're hoping to get folks who won't go into the mass shelters off the streets by... Um, making shelter look different. And that's something we already see in the city and they hope to amplify. Um, and then bigger picture, they hope that they can um, start transitioning things like motels into uh, long-term affordable housing and uh, use those 
taxes and funds to start creating new kinds of housing, whether that's supportive group housing or um, more recovery housing and things like that. And I think we're also going to see more conversations about various methods of funding that really touch on different kinds of housing, uh, whether that's um, for mental health support services or addiction recovery. And this, uh, the homeless services measure was approved by voters. What was that in 2019 now? I'm losing track of time or 2020. 2020, beginning of 2020. Yes, May 2020. Going on a year ago. That feels like in May of 2020. That feels like, uh, gosh, it feels like a different lifetime. So, uh, just kind of to wrap it up, are people feeling more optimistic? Like you three personally, not even your beats. I'm just kind of curious. I mean, it seems like we're on the doorsteps of spring here, um, and there's. You know, vaccines are are in uh, in the state. Uh, I don't know, Mike. Let's start with you. Do you feel are you feeling optimistic and and cheery these days? Emphatically, yes. I think there's um, and my apologies. There's a, a, a band practice going on upstairs, so you may be hearing that. <laughs> this is but one of fa- the one of the joys of our our weekly rhythm of of Zoom calls is hearing Mike's kids play their <laughs> play their music. Uh, it's great. Um, but yes, emphatically, yes. Uh, I think there is enormous cause for optimism uh, economically uh, that there are, you know, there's it, every every reason to believe that things that have been keeping the brakes on Oregon's economy over the past year are loosening up and loosening up rather rapidly. So I, I think, you know, the the issue will be kind of this transition period and how that goes. You know what what does what does interim schooling look like? How much freedom does that give parents? Uh, what does the summer look like? What kinds of things are opening and how fast? And what's consumer behavior going to be like? I think those things are all really hard to tell uh, from the outside. But I, you know, economists are are predicting, and and you may have seen it uh, recently. You know, the the trajectory right now for annual national GDP growth is ahead of where it was before the pandemic. So essentially the, uh, you know, the, the fed is thinking that the national economy is going to grow faster over the five years from 2019 than they thought it would before the pandemic. Hmm. So I think there's a lot of reason to hope that we're, we're going to be much better off six months from now than we are right now. Hillary, what about you? How are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling pretty optimistic, too. I think that a large section of the economy is going to do well. Like Mike was describing, you hear economists talk a lot about how much money people have in savings. I mean, I know in our household, having gotten two rounds of um, stimulus kind of, or they call, maybe they call them relief payments, but it's stimulus. Um, if you're not living paycheck to paycheck and then we're not paying for gas to go to the office, there's just various, um, reasons that those savings have been, have been, um, accruing and then people are going to go spend those. I think a question that I have is what it's going to mean for society overall, because in the last year with coronavirus and the 
racial, uh, the protest against racial injustice and systemic racism, a lot of people were talking about how, hey, this is refocusing, um, people's attention and maybe we're confronting some things that we might ignore when the economy is humming along. Yeah. And how quickly do we forget about that? Um, I think that since I cover government, I always have questions about how effectively is government going to address those kinds of problems that are affecting um, maybe not the lawmakers who are in Salem, but the people that that they're supposed to serve, and that goes for all levels of government. So, you know, how much is going to get spent on administering the um, Portland area homelessness tax versus getting those services to people quickly now that, you know, it's been a while since it passed? Um, and lawmakers had talked about how surprised they were last year when, as Mike covered, people were lining up to get these $500 <clears throat> payouts that the state had passed through from the CARES Act to people. Um, so they were shocked by that inequality. And they still, I don't, I don't think that our leaders are still able to square the fact that the economy is doing so well. And then there's just people who are struggling so much. Yeah, we didn't get to that in this conversation. But I know, um, you know, or- Oregon Democrats have floated uh, the $17 minimum wage, which it, it, maybe doesn't have the legs here, but, um, is above the $15 minimum wage, which, you know, appears likely DOA on the federal level, at least at the moment. But, um, and Andrew, I'll jump in for yeah. just a, a moment. You know, the, the, the $17 minimum wage probably isn't going anywhere in Oregon either, but I, in the same way that the downturn was steepest and hardest for the most vulnerable Oregon, Oregonians, particularly those working in low wage service industries that shut down, you know, prior upticks that we've had during the pandemic suggest that the rebound will be fastest for them as well. Uh, that doesn't mean that they'll that folks who are struggling to get by right now will immediately be back to where they were. It may be a long process, but and particularly for some individuals. But I think broadly, you know, the the extreme pressure on the bottom end is likely to lift. The bottom end of the wage scale is likely to lift somewhat uh, over the next several weeks. Okay. Um, and Nicole, let's close with you. Um, wh- where's your mindset right now, both in in your own existence and, and then covering your beat? Uh, how are you feeling about things? Uh, pretty optimistic. I think folks I'm talking to on the street are feeling that hope that in the coming months, they can start going back to work if they did lose a job from the service industry or something like that. Despite how fast we can get services rolled out based on um, the metro uh, homeless measure, um, it still gives people a sense of hope. And I think it lets them start thinking about how the future year will look in terms of um, improvements and new resources. And I think people are really optimistic that they'll be able to do things that they've never done before. And I hope you get to enjoy your new city. Um you know, outside outside your new apartment a little bit more, too. Me, too. <laughs> there was a time, Nicole, when the restaurants were just, like, packed. <laughs> it does exist. It, so much going on here. Yeah, Portland in summer. We'll see. It might Maybe we'll get back there sooner than we thought. Well, thank you, uh, all three of you, for all of your tremendous reporting and for carving out some time to, to talk with me. Great. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Yeah, of course, Andrew. 
Thanks for listening to Beat Check with You Oregonian. I shared a link to some of my colleagues' recent work in the episode notes. If you like this show, leave us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the program. And tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.